1: Learn more at aarp.org skills. Let's be honest. The first place our family turns to
0: when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach. St. Simon's on the Georgia coast, for instance, Mm -hmm. it's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home?
1: That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away, because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house you could just host your extra spare room if you got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com
3: today. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count
0: Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today, we're answering your listener questions.
1: Yeah, man, it's June 13th, and everybody knows that... On the thirteenth of June, every single year we answer listener questions. That's not always the case, but not th- that happens. That, <laughs> that was a lie, Matthew. Th- that is what we are doing today. This twenty-second year of listener <laughs> listener questions that we you are sound going like to a get scribe to. from the Middle Ages. Or something. Uh, hey, we got to find interesting ways of introducing the episode. <laughs> <laughs> since we've had a lot of these. in our Hear ye, hear ye. The next uh, How to Money episode commences now. But we are going to talk about budgeting. Uh, specifically, we've got a, a listener who has a question on how to go about breaking down specific line items within his budget. We're going to take one about ramping up a side hustle into maybe a full-fledged business, finding ways to invest that money, uh, as well as a, a listener who is a teacher. She's got a pension, you don't really hear about those anymore, and so I'm excited to get to her question as well, plus two others. Uh, so
0: the pension question, Matt, reminds me of the Will Forte show, The Last Man on Earth, which I think mm-hmm. only watched
1: a couple episodes of, but I've never seen a single episode. Though I do love Will Forte. Yeah, he's, he's great. a hilarious dude. He's very funny. But the
0: this listener might be the last person on Earth <laughs> with a pension. They're they're so rare. That's she's, why we don't talk about. She's them very the much.
1: last teacher in the United States <laughs> to have gotten a pension offer. Not
0: not actually true, but uh, yeah, they, they are so much more infrequent. Not many people have access to a pension, and we'll talk about kind of how this teacher should be thinking about it uh, a little bit later on. But Matt, before we get to that, I just wanted to mention how ridiculous have some appliances gotten in our modern era? I feel like we, I, I don't know, I was just looking online the other day at some refrigerators, and... Some of these refrigerators, man, cost like $3,500, $4,000. Oh, my gosh. Because they're Wi-Fi enabled and they've got so that's, that's not just screens on
1: the doors. They're actually... Exactly. Th- they're, they're fancy. Okay. Exactly. It's, I thought you were saying they're that much because that's just how much they cost now.
0: No, no. So there's literally just, I feel like, copious upgrades that have been made to some of the machines, making them like w- way smarter than they actually need to be. Right. And, and I don't even know that it's improving our lives in any meaningful way. So, it feels like we're spending double on the fridge, and we're, we're buying maybe some of these features that we didn't necessarily expect or, or even want. Like, I, I don't want my fridge to have Wi-Fi. Gonna, well, that's what I
1: was going to ask. Are you going to get one of those fancy no, fridges? No, of
0: course not. I mean, one, Do I'm have content to- with the fridge I have right now, but two, like... Who- who needs it?
1: Got it. I didn't know if you were responsible for getting a new fridge for the new place. Is it coming with a fridge? It comes complete with a refrigerator. Yes. Very nice. Na- so it's, it's funny that and you are yours mentioned... actually does have a fancy <laughs> fridge, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. You're kind of making fun of me a little bit though because we basically did purchase <laughs> did a fancy and, fridge. You didn't go out and buy it on purpose. We didn't go out and buy it, but I, what is this? Some cost fallacy? Like It was included in the house, and so I guess, effectively, we did pay for a fancy fridge. Well, now you can get The market touch. isn't perfect, okay? it was I wasn't able to snap <laughs> my fingers and say, this is not something I want to make maintain that I want to keep around, they're the the cost of friction in your life. And if I could, like I said, if I could magically stump my fingers and uh, downgrade the fridge, I think I would. I don't think ours comes with Wi-Fi. I pray that it doesn't. Okay, I hope not. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe you can stay, because in, imagine stay having in touch to, with your fridge from afar. Yeah, imagine having to like hey, reset the router on my fridge. Like, <laughs> Do I have to turn my, my fridge off for five seconds? Right. Unplug it and plug it back in so that it works. <laughs> Let's hope <laughs> like not. Like your Wi-Fi. That would be annoying. Uh, inheriting more technological problems is not something I also want to s- include when it comes to basic kitchen appliances. Yeah, But I agree, hopefully that is not something that turns into a headache. Yeah, I mean, us. I remember even just,
0: what, 10 years ago, I remember friends talking about having a suite of matching kitchen appliances, and I don't feel like that was a thing twenty years ago, but it became a thing. Oh yeah, it was. about ten years ago, was it?
1: Yeah, imagine like like I don't m- think people cared as much mid-century stuff. Everything matched. It was all like like it was all pistachio green, you know <laughs> like. <laughs> At least in the ads that you're used to seeing.
0: I, I doubt it was actually like that in real life. In real life. but I, I don't think I think I don't, I don't know. I don't think we had the same exact matching brands and everything. And when something went bad, you didn't replace all of them because one oh, definitely not. appliance went bad.
1: No. And now... You didn't replace it. You had a repairman show up and they actually fixed the dang thing right. yeah. instead of replacing the entire Although ride. now
0: it's really, really expensive to repair appliances. But it's one of those things where maybe it's just kind of our expectations... Uh, have risen and it's costing us a lot more money. And if, if we as consumers could lower our expectations just a little bit, not necessarily demand Wi-Fi in our fridges or demand that all of our appliances be a part of the exact same suite, I think we would be able to save more money. We'd Absolutely. We'd be wasting it less on stuff we don't need.
1: Yeah, this is like an anti-consumption PSA, yeah. basically is what we're saying. Like it makes me think of the, the, the talk or the quote uh, where Warren Buffett was talking to a bunch of college graduates and he said... You live life now better than Rockefeller did 100 years ago. <laughs> right, like right. You have the ability to watch the World Series. You stay warm in the winter. You stay cool in the summer. You can virtually do anything in the entire world. That is not something the richest man on the planet could do 100 years ago. That's true. But because it's all relative and we see that something is available to us, or in your case, you saw that fridges were on sale uh, <laughs> at, at Costco and you thought... Maybe for a second, maybe for a split second, you thought, oh, those look nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then your hot a money conscience crept up on you. I'm like, what well, could? Just, like, hit you over the head. It was A like, Wi-Fi enabled up.
0: refrigerator do for me as what an individual. What are you individual. doing? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Would it make my life
0: easier or better? Your beers could be cooled at the optimal temperature, Joel. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, it seems, no, seems... That is what we're trying to avoid here. seems a little silly. So, all right, but let's move on, Matt. The, the beer that we're having on this episode is called Terrace Bulba. It's an extra hoppy ale by Brasserie de la Seine out of Brussels. And yes, this is a a Belgian hoppy beer. We'll give our thoughts at the end of the episode. But for now, let's get on to the subject at hand. We're taking listener questions. And for folks who have a question they want to submit uh, for a future Ask HTM episode, we would love to hear it. And actually, Matt, we get a lot of investing questions, but I know our listeners have such a wide range of money questions. We would love to hear those other more idiosyncratic maybe uh, money questions that you have. And you can submit those at howtomoney.com slash ask. We'd love to take it on the next. Next Ask HTM episode. But let's kick it off. Matt, let's get to our first question. This one is about budgeting.
3: Hi, my name is Joe. I'm a 46 year old married man who has two kids. My wife and I are both teachers. I feel that we are wasting a lot of money at too many different grocery type businesses, Target, Walmart, Sam's, Costco, Aldi, etc. My question is when budgeting, is it necessary to break down each expense when you go to a store? For example, we go to Target and buy lunchables for dinner and a few other items. But we also buy some things for our day-to-day groceries that we meal plan for. When budgeting, do I need to separate all these things? Thank you.
1: All right, let's kick things off with a practical budgeting question. Uh, Joel, I feel like this is a great one, because like we say here on the show, basically everyone out there needs to be needs to be budgeting, like either because you find yourself spending a little more than you'd like to every month, or it's because you're an uber frugal tightwad and you find yourself not spending enough money every single month. Hmm. Uh, We don't want you to deprive yourself of the things in life that bring you joy. Instead, we want to ensure that you're able to spend money in ways that align with your values. Uh, And a budget is basically a game plan that gets you there. The only people who don't need budgets are those who claim that they're perfectly rational and who also don't have any emotions, which (laughs) might mean that you're a sociopath. (laughs) But for everyone else out there, budgeting is the way to go. Uh, So, Joe, I'm glad that that is now a discipline, that 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 is a practice that you're implementing in your life. Yeah. And and Matt, you said for those who claim they're perfectly rational, I would like to meet the person who claims
0: that they're perfectly rational. And I'm sure we could find uh, some ways in which they are not. Uh, I like to think of myself
1: as rational, but... We all do. I know. But I know in (laughs) reality that everyone says oh no no I, I don't allow advertising to affect right. me right. oh oh no I, I keep a perfectly level head when an expense pops you know like all these things that derail us and our money I think they're they're present in all of our lives
0: yes I am self-aware enough to know that I am not <laughs> totally rational and that even sometimes uh, a fancy fridge with a cool screen kind of grabs my <laughs> attention. And I'm like, okay, I get it, but... Uh, you can come over... No, I'm not going to do it. You can come over to our house and, and double tap. This <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, while we're talking about budgeting, we're talking about Joe's question. And it's important to mention that we're all different. And so, yeah, Joe is asking, you know, whether they need to separate individual items um, on their budget as they're tracking their spending. And I think the bad news is that, that unfortunately, there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong answer. Right, so much of it depends right. on who's asking and how they handle their money. So, you know, just like how all of our budgets are, they're all different because we spend money differently. I think the same thing can be true of how it is that we go about budgeting. There's not necessarily a hard and fast rule that works perfectly for every single human.
1: It's not just the contents of the budget that are customized to us as individuals. It's the budgeting methodology yeah. is what you're saying.
0: The tactics are going to change exactly. based on who you are totally. and, and how you think. And so we can all take different approaches to budget budgeting. But what's important is that we take the approach that is going to work for us as individuals if we try to take an approach that maybe works for a friend and doesn't necessarily fit our, our lifestyle or our personality, we might find ourselves struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to make sure it works for, our, for how we live. And so, yeah, you have to take your partner or your spouse into consideration as well. And so we're all about sustainable budgeting, <laughs> choosing totally. the path that, choosing the kind of budget, and then the methodology for tracking and implementing that budget that actually works for how
1: you live. Totally. Yeah. So that being said, it sounds like budgeting for different line items. Like that that might become this cumbersome and time consuming task, Joe, that would immediately lead to budget burnout and you dropping this discipline altogether. Uh, so, that doesn't sound like a great method. Uh, and, and even if you're someone who is all about the details, you, you want to know all the fine points, it would Probably still be best to keep things simple, and then over time you can refine your spending categories as you develop more of an understanding of your monthly expenses. Based on the fact that it seems like this is a new realization, the fact that you're spending more at Costco, Sam's, Target uh, stores like that, it makes me think that maybe this is something that y'all have only recently started tracking. Mm. And so I think it can be helpful to get a few months maybe under your belts before you drastically change your 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 tactics. And so, for instance, if you're budgeting for the first time, you might want to Keep all of your expenses related to food within the same category. But then eventually uh, restaurants and breweries, maybe if they can create their uh, that can create like a separate entertainment category. Uh, but initially, I think it can be helpful if you keep uh, a lot of these expenses within the same category just for simplicity's sake.
0: Yeah, man, I think that's what some people why some people revolt against budgets to begin with is because they try something that's overly complex and it takes too much time, it's too much effort, and it it feels constraining because they are spending so much time on their budget and going through receipts to put things in particular categories. And then they're like, Mm -hmm. yep, screw it, budgets aren't for me. And I get that reaction because if that's what I was doing... I wouldn't be, I wouldn't do budgeting either because it, it would be a big giant pain. And so for me, simple is better. And I think that's the case for for a whole lot of people. Like if, if, if I was in Joe's situation, I would just plan on all routine purchases made at grocery stores and warehouse clubs. I put them in the same category for the sake of keeping things simple. And I'm guessing you know it probably seems like you're spending a ton at those stores, Joe. And you probably are if it includes stuff like cleaning supplies, over, over-the-counter over medicines, let's say, other household items. Maybe you're going to the beach and you pick up a set of beach towels or whatever, uh, which you you are prone to do at Costco, right? As you see the sales, as you walk in. But even still, I see a lot of value in keeping all those purchases lumped together within maybe that category of groceries or whatever you decide to call it. I mean, I know that our family, we're, we're just not going to break things down into individual items on receipts and put them into separate categories, that sounds like enough work that I'd be liable to quit trying it all together. And that being said, though, let's say it's a bigger individual purchase. Let's say you're buying a bigger electronics item, like a television. You know, maybe ring that up separately, uh, since it's a larger, more irregular expense.
1: Yeah, you, sh- you shouldn't be buying a new TV every month. Yeah, because like, <laughs> you're like, why is my grocery bill so high? Oh, I buy a TV every month. It <laughs> doesn't need to be a part of the uh, the regular
0: budget. E- exactly. So so every once in a while, if you're buying something that's particularly large or unique, then I would, I would definitely make sure to mark that out. So yeah, look out for those purchases. But ultimately, uh, I think you are more liable to ditch your budget uh, in short order if you try to get too complicated with it.
1: Yeah, it it seems like he's trying to come through more details than seems prudent at this point. Like he's talking about the difference between buying Lunchables, like pre-prepared foods versus ingredients for meal planning. I mean, in our household, those absolutely go in the same category. That like that's groceries, even though one is slightly more convenient than the other. You know, we've talked about my family budget before, and uh, again, even though we talked earlier about how it depends on you and what it is that you're able to maintain, I uh, we can link to the Excel file where I've shared my family budget before, at, at least sort of the framework, and I've kind of cleared out all of our personal information. But you you know, you might find that to be a helpful resource for you. But we'll also link to Mint, YNAB. It, it costs nine. Dollars a month, but that can also be a great resource for folks who are looking to to budget for the first time. Dollarbird, that is actually another app that we've mentioned before. It's it's pretty cool, and the actual budgeting it takes place kind of more on a you know within a calendar format. And so if you live and die by the calendar, maybe that's the way to go for you. So we'll make sure to link to some of these resources within the show notes for this episode. No doubt. All right, Matt, we got more
0: questions to get to, uh, including one about investing more into a, a side hustle to get it off the ground. We'll talk about that and more.
3: If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mentioned that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to
0: dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that
1: your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com
0: to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful... Well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year.
1: That's right. Yeah. And here's the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. save time and money, and provide your family with a financial
0: safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com.
1: All right, we are back and we are taking listener questions. Joel, let's get to this next one that has to do with Roth contribution limits.
4: Hi, Matt and Joel. My name is Dana. I am from San Antonio, Texas, and I'm a big fan of beers, biking, and dollar bills, so I've been really enjoying your podcast. I have a question for y'all. My work offers a 457B with both pre-tax and Roth options. I can contribute to one, both, or neither, obviously. I chose the 457B Roth option so that I wouldn't have to pay taxes down the road. I started contributing contributing $500 a month in order to reach the $6,000 Roth maximum annual limit. However, I started researching and found out that I can actually contribute up to $20,500 in this 457B Roth. And it seems like I can also contribute $6,000 to a regular Roth IRA. I wanted to reach out and see if this is correct. And would it be wise to max out both of these accounts as a Roth? Or should I be balancing a mixture of pre and post tax accounts? Any help is appreciated. Love what you guys are doing. Have a great one.
0: Dana, great question. You're totally our our kind of person. So uh, thank you for listening to the show. Beer, bikes, and the dollar bills. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, yeah, we would get along for sure. And we we love that you chose the Roth option in your 457B, but you're right. The the contribution limits for a Roth IRA are $6,000, which is isn't as much as we would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the contribution limits for a workplace account like a 401k or a 457b, like you have, and like you said, are $20,500 for this year. And the killer thing is that you can do both if you've got that kind of dough. Matt, there aren't many people out there looking to stash away uh, close to $30,000 in a single year. But if Dana's one of those folks, That's true. then she's, she's got the ability to make it happen.
1: She's a frugal light. She's a super saver. You know, you, you just might find yourself able to accomplish such a lofty goal, or you can at least kind of make this a long term goal uh, and try to accomplish this years down the road. Uh, But the fact that Dana has this question, you know, the fact that it's even on her radar is an awesome thing. uh, And we are glad that that's something you're striving after. Um, And I think the reason there might be some confusion here probably stems from the fact that most folks, including us, we casually refer to the Roth. But what we're specifically talking about is the Roth IRA. But Roth 401Ks and Roth 457Bs, these are becoming more common, and so we'll do our best to make sure that we are being more specific. We don't want to trip folks up with the semantics. We want to want folks to know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. When we're talking about Roths.
0: Exactly, yeah. So we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll try to mention Roths Roth collectively every time from here on out, because you're right, it does probably get confusing if you're like, wait, they said Roths have a $6,000 contribution limit, but from what I'm reading, I've got a whole lot more ability like to invest over in the, my Roth. Exactly. Because it's your Roth their... 401k. And mm-hmm. it, so, yeah, sorry for the confusion. <laughs> Retirement accounts are obviously just a, a jumbled of numbers and letters, too. It's It can be confusing <laughs> to begin with. So we'll try not to... There could
1: be some better description, uh, some <laughs> better, better titled programs that you could invest in with uh, what your work offers. Yeah,
0: the, the IRS can use some marketing help, <laughs> for sure. And you know, when it comes to contributing to a Roth or a traditional, on both of these accounts, whether you're talking about an IRA or your workplace retirement account, it largely depends on your specific situation. Uh, For instance, if you have student loans and you're on the path to achieving student loan forgiveness, well, contributing to a traditional account will help lower your necessary payments in the here and now, and it's going to allow you to qualify for more forgiveness at the end of the day. Win-win. That's right. So, uh, But if you're, let's say, in an incredibly high income tax bracket. It's probably also worth considering a a mixture of Roth and traditional contributions. But if that's not the case, we really do prefer that you, Dana, and that most other folks out there go with the Roth option. That's kind of the knee jerk response, uh, whether it's with an IRA or uh, in your workplace account, because it's hard to know where tax rates are going to be in the future. But the Roth ensures that you don't really have to worry about that at all because you're taking the the tax hit now. Hopefully it's a minor tax hit because of where you fall in the tax brackets. But for most folks, the Roth just seems to make the most sense tax wise. Yeah.
1: And we actually, you know, we do know, though, that there is a likely... Likelihood that rates will go up in the not too distant future. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act is set to expire at the end of 2025. And we are not sure if it's going to be reinstated. You know, it depends on who's in office. It depends on where the current political winds are blowing. But current income tax breaks that we're getting at this very moment will likely be gone in just a few years time. And so we would recommend for you and everyone else out there to make Make hay while the tax sun is shining. (laughs) Uh, Go ahead, pay that tax now. Sock away as much as you can for your future within Roth, collectively, collective Roth accounts, regardless if we're talking about your IRA or your 401k, Uh, but make sure that you are maxing those out as much as possible. Because let's be honest, Dana's also, she's going to be crushing it decades from now. And so there's a higher likelihood too, that she's going to be owing more because she's just going to be in a higher tax bracket. She's asking these kind of questions now at this stage in the game. I doubt that she's going to be making less in the future.
0: Well, I guess my one question, Matt, is uh, we're, we're rooting for Dana, uh, of course. <laughs> but when you run for the highest office in the land and you get elected, what's going to happen? What, what are you going to do with tax rates?
1: I would not tax income at all. Oh. Uh, sales tax only, baby. Okay, there That's you tax, go. tax consumption as opposed to like why tax? Like you tax the thing that you want to see less of, right? right? And so if you're going to tax income and I swear we're not going to get political here, but just generally speaking, if you're taxing income, you are incentivizing for folks to not necessarily uh, earn more income because why would you do more of something that you're getting taxed on? Even the Democratic governor of Colorado said
0: that recently. Oh, really? uh, Brought brought a lot of wisdom to an interview I listened to. Sounds uh, like a smart guy. Yeah, he's right. He's right. (laughs) So, all right, that's interesting to know. So when you run for president, we can expect higher sales taxes and lower income taxes. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on. Let's get to our next question. Uh, Matt, I would vote for you. I just want you to... Know that, um, and glad you got my back. <laughs> this next question you'd comes: be my, You'd be my VP. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. I was hoping Secretary of State, but I'll take I'll take VP because uh, VPs just don't do as much as Secretaries of State. There's like a, I, I think of it as a could we co-pres? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> co lead the, the country? I don't know if they allow that. Uh, all right, let's get to the next question. This one is about entrepreneurship and short-term investing.
5: Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Adam in Austin, and I have a question regarding investing for the short term, particularly like one, three, five years. My situation is that my Roth is maxed, I have a six-month emergency fund, I've got a nice full-time job and I also have a small business that kinda goes year to year to supplement some things. But I don't really feel like getting into real estate and I'm not sure that your typical advice, putting money in low-fee Vanguard accounts, is really good for you know, a short time period, one, three, five years. So what do you recommend? My first option is maybe to pay myself to grow my small business, perhaps quit the job and have a six-month head start, or two, put money in Vanguard accounts you know, for three years or so and just live with a smaller payment. Of course, if there's a third option, I'd love to hear it. Great job, y'all.
1: Bye. All right, Adam, thank you so much for your question. And congrats on all of the financial progress you've made. Sounds like you are in a solid financial position. And I I think there's two crucial parts to this question. First of all... Short term investing is a tricky needle to thread. Um, You're definitely right about that, Adam. You know, like socking a ton of money in the market when you're hoping to tap that money within the next year. Uh, You know, you sort of said that within that one, three, or five year time frame. You know, investing that money within that one year time slot is an incredibly risky route to take. Mm -hmm. All you've got to do is just look at what's happened so far this year to the market. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, anybody who's like,
0: I'm going to put it in in January and I'm going to get it out like at Christmas time for Christmas presents. I'm going to have earned 20% of my money. It's like, oop, oop. or even even seven percent. I mean, we might, That's but right.
1: we have no idea. You know, sure. like I don't think anyone is confident that a total stock market fund is going to finish in the black uh, instead of in the red uh, by the end of the year. It definitely could. But what's happening right now is the perfect example uh, of why attempts to invest money that you'll need within a, a shorter time frame, like one year, that that is a dangerous and risky endeavor. That's right.
0: And the second part uh, that Adam mentioned was stocking more money into his small business. That's right. That's kind of a different question, right? Because it, it's something we're massively in favor of is building up a side hustle into a small business that is going to allow you to potentially escape working 9 to 5 or whatever your hours are for any other employer so that you can do your own thing and it sounds like you're not 100% sure that you're ready to go full time on your own uh, Adam but if you are why not funnel more of the dollars you're making into your business so that you can take it to the next level you know you've already got a stocked e fund that that gives you a lot of runway as you attempt to make this transition that should Offer a lot of confidence that you have quite a bit of time to be able to establish yourself. You know, we're we're going to push people to invest in themselves, in their ideas, and in their own businesses whenever we possibly can. And of course, we're definitely biased since that's what the two of us have done. But we also see that as a blueprint for financial success for people across the country. You know, and 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 we've been we pursued this podcast as a side hustle legitimately for um, quite a while before it became our full time gig. And so sometimes, yeah, you just need time to ramp up you need that other income while you're growing the thing that you're working on but the goal for most people for a lot of people is you know to eventually be able to turn the spigot on uh,
1: all the way so that you can work for yourself full-time. That's right. Yeah, this is more than just an investing. This is more than just like a money question, Adam. Because uh, yeah, like the, the skies could be the limit when it comes to what your business can produce for you. And yeah, this is about optimizing the returns on the cash that you're looking to deploy today. But for most folks, there is just a lot more than the ability to make more money. There's a dream that you're looking to fulfill. And it sounds like you've got this opportunity to pursue something that could pay some dividends in the area of life satisfaction. And and that's almost priceless, you know, like just think about the amount of time that you dedicate to work, right? On average, about eight hours a day, assuming you sleep for another Roughly eight hours. Like we're talking about how you're going to spend a, around a third of your life, <laughs> and so I say that because I just want you to keep in mind that there's more to it than you know where you're going to see the largest return on investment on your cash. Uh, it's also worth considering how you're going to be spending your waking hours, how you are literally going to spend the, the hours of your life. Yeah,
0: it's almost impossible to say. Well, should I invest in a total stock market fund or in my business? Because it, there's so many specifics that would factor in to how you make that decision. But for a lot of people, we're going to say, if if you're in the, the right financial position, we would love to see you <laughs> pursue that business in a bigger way, if at all possible. And you know, Adam is certainly in the place financially where it makes sense for him to give that dream a go, even even if it means investing less for future retirement needs for the time being. It's okay to let that take a backseat while you prioritize getting this small business into self-sustaining territory. But for everyone else out there, by the way, who's listening and you don't have a side business to consider ramping up, and maybe you also have some extra money that you don't want to have sitting in a savings account, well, then actually investing in the market Makes sense for you in all likelihood. I personally wouldn't be investing in the market if I needed that money in a year, but I definitely would if I had more of like a five-year timeline. Uh, and that three-year timeline is always the trickiest, man. It's more of a gray area. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when you look at like the rolling returns of the stock market for the past 100 years, you have like an 85% chance of seeing your investment grow. When we're talking about a three-year timeline, mm-hmm. those are still pretty good odds, yeah. uh, considering it's a purely passive investment where you don't really have to lift a finger. But I feel like the short-term investing question is, is one that we get more than almost anything else, uh, as especially our younger listeners are looking to save up for a more, a major purchase in particular, like a home purchase. They're wondering, well, how can I put this aside for three years from now? Can I put it in the market? And it's just nice to know those numbers because you can kind of see, well, what's my actual risk potential here. If I do invest on a short timeline, one year seems crazy to me. Three years seems less crazy, much more doable, still risky.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think another consideration is to not be so focused on optimizing every single dollar. I think a lot of times we think, oh, I don't want to have this chunk of cash sitting there for years on end earning nothing. But life changes. And something that we thought we were going to do a year or two from now, by the time that year two arrives, we're doing something else. We are changing and evolving creatures and sometimes it pays to have liquid cash for us to be able to do what it is that we that we want to do with our money. But that being said, if you know that you want to at least lock your money away for a year, we would recommend you checking out iBonds. It's not technically investing, but it's just one of our favorite short-term vehicles uh, to generate a solid return. The rate is currently just shy of 10%, which is awesome. <laughs> a it's guaranteed just, rate of return. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's so good. Um, and that's just a great place to sock away at least $10,000 uh, that you can lock away for at least a year. We'll put a link to the government website, which is treasurydirect.gov, where you can buy iBonds. We'll include that in our show notes. But we wanted to mention that because maybe that $10,000 will be enough to hold you over. You know that you're getting close to that 10%. You know that you're not going to touch that money for a year. But beyond that, maybe it does pay to to hang on to that money within that high interest savings account so that you have options available to you. Yeah. One to three, your money in an iBond
0: right now makes just a world of sense,
1: yeah. Uh, Especially sure. just the ten thousand dollars, right? It's, yeah. it's not like it requires you to go fifty thousand in or a t- hundred thousand dollars in, where it's just okay. This is a massive commitment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is that, that, that's not what we're talking about that's here. That's Right. So, all right, Matt, we got uh, more
0: questions to get to, including the one about a teacher and her pension. We'll, we'll get to that, and a question about buying a rental property right after this.
3: If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mentioned that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com.
0: Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Cachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10% off your first order
1: that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm-hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, oh, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my,
0: <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into
1: your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, we're back from the break. And let's hear a question from a listener who is in our neighboring state of South Carolina.
4: Hey guys, this is Maggie. I'm a music teacher in South Carolina in the increasingly rare position of contributing toward a pension so long as I stay in the state. I've taught for nine years and was officially vested in the system after eight. Last summer, I learned that my district offers a match up to 9% if I opted into an optional retirement plan like a 401k. This option is only available when you're new to a district, but next year I'll be transferring districts and wondered what y'all think is the best plan if they offer something similar. Should I stay committed to the pension while contributing to my 403B and Roth IRA? Or should I add a 401K into the mix? Thanks for your great, non judgmental content. Hope to hear from you soon.
1: Maggie, thank you for your question. We appreciate it. Non-judgmental content, Joel. That's, don't don't offend her. That is our goal. Is truly like there. <laughs> there's a lot of offensive stuff you can get into out there. Okay, so so what's funny? How to money is a place for everyone. So I said across the border, and I grew up in Augusta, which means that South Carolina literally was across the border. And I'm that's a, true. And for some reason, I remember there's North Augusta and South Augusta. Like, so part of Augusta is literally in South Carolina. Exactly. You got you had the border bash, which is the uh, big, <laughs> like UGA versus South Carolina game. But we used to always joke how like the roads just got worse once you crossed over the river in South, Carolina. <laughs> <Both> <laughs> into South Carolina look down their nose at the other yeah but Maggie those days are behind me uh I am not judging you for all, being a South Carolina resident we're all friendly well in South Carolina to be to be honest is a fantastic state seems like a great one of the best
0: flags be. uh by the way out there the oh, palmetto, yeah. palmetto tree oh on the state Lake, right. It's a beautiful right
1: well, oh flag. yeah Charleston they got that going on that's
0: right all those beaches so all right Maggie I we have to tell you this don't ever leave South Carolina one because it's a great state and two
1: because <laughs> not, not just because Matt was hating on it but like <laughs> no, we love South Carolina because
0: you're well I went to school in a, for a couple years uh, right. to college in South Carolina and I, I love that state and uh and and because Maggie has access to a pension which is as rare as Matt drinking a Miller Lite uh then I would say it's something
1: you got to stick around for once a blue moon which it, is when you're drinking your wheat ale uh that's not really produced <laughs> that's right it almost never <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) happens. And so uh, because you still have
0: access to a pension, we would say don't lose it at any cost. If you envision yourself having like a 20 or 30 year teaching career, this pension is going to go a long way towards ensuring that you're going to have more than enough to live on in retirement. We'd hate to see you give it up if you can avoid it. Matt, it makes me think about my father-in-law who uh, was a public school teacher for more than 30 years. And then he decided to go teach at a private school because his pension was fully maxed. Like he couldn't add any more years or any more dollars to the, the 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 pension he was going to receive in retirement so he's double dipping in this. Point. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. I bet it's he's, like having I, two I incomes. He's
1: got the best of both worlds a little bit. He's probably got some pretty decent benefits from that's the right. private school.
0: So he's he was still pretty young, like in his late fifties, early sixties, when he made this made this transition. That's awesome. And so yeah, he's he's basically able to have two great incomes, and that's the kind of path that a lot of teachers can pursue. Or or they can just leave, live even more frugally, and they can decide. Guess what? I don't need two incomes. Mm-hmm. I I can just settle for the pension. That's plenty for me.
1: That's right. Yeah. So Maggie, not only does you know much this decision right on what you see yourself doing in the future but it but it also really depends on what you're able to learn after crunching some numbers you know the numbers don't lie so sit down and, and calculate what you are going to effectively be receiving if you happen to, to have access to a 403b or a 401k although we're kind of confused because we can't imagine having access to both of those with a single employer typically it's Going to be one or the other, uh, but both accounts are basically the same, assuming that you do have access to both, and assuming that you still have the same nine percent match with both of those accounts. Typically, they're identical. You're, you're going to be limited to the the twenty thousand five hundred in total contributions, regardless if you're enrolled in just one of them or if you're enrolled in both. And so, otherwise, what you want to make sure that you're looking at are your investing options because you're going to want to be invested in something like a total stock market index fund or an S&P 500 index fund with virtually no expenses, right? So you're looking for expense ratios in the either free, which would be ideal, like that's what you can get through Fidelity, uh, but typically something in the 0.03 to 0.09% range is acceptable. Anything above like 0.3%, like there there really should be no fund that you're invested in where you're paying more than 10x what you truly need to be paying. That's right. Yeah, we'd love to see you in the
0: lowest fee funds possible. Uh, For for some reason, though, Matt, some of those companies don't have access or don't offer, at least uh, in particular to teachers, some of those lowest fee funds, which is sad. <laughs> it's right. abysmal. And so if you have access to both, which we're, we're not quite sure about based on your question, Maggie, we would say opt for the one that has lower fee funds. And yep. if, you, if you have more questions about your 403B, there's a great website called 403 bwiseorg And it's a great site to help you understand the specifics of 403Bs and you can learn more about yours in depth. It's a place teachers should go when they want to find out more about their own retirement account. But hey, Matt, what I was kind of gathering was that, Maggie, could potentially uh, stop accruing her pension and gravitate gravitate towards a 401k and if that's the case we would say Hmm. it's almost always going to be a bad idea to do Hmm. that yeah but the fact that that she's already vested in the south carolina pension and that every year the pot gets a little bit sweeter it means that no matter what she's going to want to keep that pension growing and um and so like yeah
1: there's not like that period of time where she'd be working towards getting vested where she would be potentially missing out on a match but that's not the case that's not the situation it sounds
0: like that she's in that's right once you've hit those vesting years for the pension you every single year you add on is going to directly increase the amount that you're going to be able to get for the rest of your days <laughs> when you've hit retirement age and i love the fact that maggie is also contributing to her roth ira as well as that work sponsored retirement mm-hmm. account at the same time it's one of those things where like all the vehicles combined um yeah. it, it makes me think of captain <laughs> planet you know all the powers <laughs> combined well all those vehicles combined with that with that pension uh, as well are going to make for just extremely smooth sales. Uh, when Maggie does decide to stop teaching. And again, the decision you make here is largely based on some presumptions that we're making. But if teaching in South Carolina is something you enjoy, something you plan to keep on doing, you know, invest in those other accounts for sure. Keep doing that. But prioritize keeping the pension no matter what. There's a reason that so many uh, people pine for the days of the past when pensions were a thing, because they provided a whole lot of security in retirement. That's right. And
1: it's it, also why a lot of states and organizations and companies are go- moving away from them because they're expensive. They're,
0: yeah, they cost them a lot of money. Exactly, and for state and government workers who still have that option, but they're also <laughs> taking their own retirement into their own hands through these
1: individual retirement accounts and workplace retirement accounts. They're basically in the best position possible. That's right, and also, Joel, since you mentioned Captain Planet, I feel like we're we're totally due for a Captain Planet reboot. <laughs> oh, how is that not happening yet? <laughs> like, I, I'm picturing what I, like a like if Michael Bay sat down at to the table and just like, all right. How can I make Cat and Planet awesome? <laughs> I think that is something I would I would pay money to go see. Yeah, I would watch that. <laughs> but Maggie, we wish you the best. Thank you for your question. Joel, we've got uh, our last question of the day. It comes from a listener who is looking to get into real estate investing, one of our favorite topics. Let's hear it.
2: Hi, Matt. Hi, Joel. My name is Thomas. I live in Frisco, just north of Dallas, Texas, and I'm calling because I have a few questions about getting into the rental property game. I have a very stable current situation with my wife. I'm able to invest in stocks every month. I have our credit cards paid off every month, and I have about four to five months worth of income for me and my wife stored in a high-yield emergency fund. Because of all this, I do have a low cash flow currently. I don't know which option would be best for me to consider when trying to get a cash infusion to start a rental property. I am trying to avoid a cash out refinance because we refinanced last year on our house. We got off our PMI, which was great and had a great low interest rate. So we're trying not to mess with that. How do you feel about HELOCs for using towards rental properties? I don't know if I have any other options other than just a personal loan. Secondly. What expenses do I need to be considering before knowing how much of a loan to take out other than just the price of the house? I know there's property manager fees and probably some upkeep and things, but I didn't know if there was any other secrets that I need to be worried about before getting this loan going. Lastly, is there any way to avoid putting 20% down for a rental property investment? I know if it's where you live, you can put less, but I don't know if there's any other tips or tricks to avoid that. Thanks for all your help. Keep up the great work.
0: All right, Thomas. Thanks for your question. I I love your enthusiasm for getting into rental properties. He's got the itch, yes, and I get it, man. I yeah. get it because you like real estate. Man. He's been listening to us. He knows it's <laughs> been great, and that it's something that a lot of people can uh, they can get cash flow every single month. They can uh, build up we talk about it too much, real estate? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, people can write in and be like, yeah, you do, <laughs> if they want to, but I, I don't That's think- That's just your opinion. Yeah. I we, we try not to bang the drum too loudly uh, because there's a lot of other financial topics worth talking about. Yes. But for folks that are interested, we'll talk about it any day, any time, any place. But uh, Thomas, it sounds like you're doing well on on some of your other financial goals too. There are a couple reasons uh, people, we would say, choose to avoid owning rental properties. One is the part-time job factor, right? It's it's not the easiest endeavor right. in the world. It takes some time and it takes, you know, there's a learning curve involved too, Matt, when mm-hmm. it comes to owning rental real estate. We don't encourage people to go in there without doing their due diligence. There's there's a lot of like reading and listening you should do before you actually pull the trigger, you know especially when you're you're first getting uh, the ball rolling or if a property needs
1: some work there's there's a lot of effort there too. Yeah, you uh, learn a whole lot in a very short period of time. That's right, and it's kind of great, right? Because it's kind of like trial by fire. You get baptized. <laughs> it's like it's like drinking from a fire hose. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly.
0: And, and the other reason I think people uh, often avoid real estate investing is because of how difficult it can be to save up a chunk of money for a down payment. It's hard enough to do that with your primary residence, uh, but it's easier to put less money down a smaller percentage when you're buying a personal property than when you're buying an investment property. And so we would say we want potential real estate investors to, sa- to have saved up at least 20% as a down payment. And that's yeah. actually what, what a lot of lenders require too, right? So uh, it's, it's not just that. It's also the wise move. And so those two hurdles, we would say, mean that most folks won't ever end up pursuing this route. It sounds like Thomas is going to at some point, but most people will avoid it, even though it can be just one of the the most powerful wealth building
1: levers. Exactly. And you see what has happened when people have rushed into the home ownership process, right? Mm -hmm. Look back to the Great Recession, look back to the subprime lending crisis, when folks who weren't necessarily qualified were getting those homes when they didn't necessarily have to put 20% down. Uh, And that's something that we want to avoid experiencing again. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of hit to the economy. I
0: saw a video on Twitter just this week, Matt, where, and people were just castigating this couple who was taking out like hundred percent loans for a lot of real estate investments. And then they were, you know, refinancing, trying to pull more money out. And then they were taking out hard money loans and they were like, here's how we have $5 million worth of assets with no money in the game. And it's like that.
1: That is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's it why might, we're
0: so keen on you right. having more skin in the game. It might
1: work out for a little bit, for sure. Maybe. But you're counting on a lot of things working out perfectly. Yes, exactly. And that you, you don't want to, everything to ride on the fact that everything must go perfectly. And to Thomas's point, he, he shouldn't mess with his current mortgage. Uh, we totally agree there. Because those refinance fees, they definitely add up. And as interest rates have risen, you don't want to ruin a good thing. You, you probably have a rate in the 3% range, if I had a guess. And going with a, a cash out refinance now, in order to get your hands on the, you know those equity dollars to buy a property that's going to cause the monthly payments on your personal home to go up. That's why a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, might make sense. But as interest rates are rising, the rate on a HELOC could jump up quite a bit in the coming years. And so that's going to make a HELOC a much less attractive offer. Uh, you could consider a home equity loan that's going to have a fixed rate over a specific time period. And so these are th- these are all certainly options for you to consider. And which one you choose is going to depend on a few things. It's going to depend on how long it's going to take you to pay that loan back. But you've got to factor in these costs into your equation uh, as to whether or not uh, a rental property makes sense for you. The the financing part of the equation is it's only one factor, but it is definitely a significant factor as you're considering an, an investment property. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing worth mentioning here is
0: that you're assuming you need a quick cash boost to make this deal happen. I think I think you said cash infusion in your question. But I'd also like to challenge you to not leverage and tap equity that you already have in order to make this deal happen, yeah. right? You said that you're investing in the stock market every month. I, I assume that's with uh, within a tax advantage retirement account. But if not, you might want to consider slowing your investing in the stock market, diverting some of those funds towards real estate. Or better yet, is there some way that you can increase your income? Or decrease your expenses to to cash flow a down payment. Um, That easily puts you in the best seat in the house as you'll be you'll be sitting on a chunk of cash that you can then direct towards whatever goal you might have, um, which could change in the future too. You might opt to go a different route. But this is the kind of thing where over-leveraging yourself can come back to bite you. The couple I mentioned in that TikTok video, maybe we'll post it in the show notes. It's frightening. I mean, what could happen (laughs) to their future? I've talked to Matt, another friend in the neighborhood, who talks in horror about uh, her in her early twenties when she amassed a number of properties in California, and they she was foreclosed on, and it ruined mm. her small, thriving real estate business as the market tanked. There, it, it can be scary to be overleveraged, and it can really come back to hurt you. And so, Thomas, that's what we want you to avoid. Do. We don't want to sound prudish, like uh, right. don't don't get into this. But it is we one of those love things. We it.
1: Yeah, oh, we, we like it a lot.
0: <laughs> but we, we like it under the right circumstances when yeah. you're financially prepared to do it.
1: Yeah, and as far as expenses, you know, you mentioned hiring a property manager. Keep in mind that that's yeah, it's obviously going to eat into the profit of that rental. We would rather see you self-manage, at least for the time being, in order to increase your cash flow. Because it's also massively helpful for first-time landlords to just DIY it in order to learn the ropes. Because if you're not willing to paint, maybe screen some tenants, perform some of those minor fixes, it's going to be a lot more difficult to get your real estate empire ramped up. Uh, but ultimately, I'm a bit nervous that this could be too much of a stretch for you at this point in time based on your lower monthly cash flow, based on your lack of down payment at the moment. And so while we do love the goal, the the timing, it just might not be quite right for you. Plus, the current state of the market hasn't made it easy for even seasoned investors to find properties that make a whole lot of financial sense, let alone for you maybe just getting started. Uh, Your specific market there in Frisco, it it might have more deals than average, I'm not sure. But patience as you sock away more money is probably going to be the best course of action. Uh, And as you are saving up that money, you're going to acquire more knowledge. You're going to have a better understanding of the market. You should should be acquiring more knowledge. You should be looking at your market every day and
0: and listening and reading the real estate gurus. Sure.
1: Or at the very least, you might realize, sort of like we're saying earlier, that your goals might change. And so you, you don't want to be beholden to a decision that you made in the past, especially when paying interest is involved. We don't want you to regret having made that decision. And so we want you to kind of be in a position of strength uh, and having at least 20% down for that down payment is definitely what we would recommend. Yeah.
0: And I got to say, if you're looking for somewhere to kind of uh, get get your knowledge level ramped up quickly, Thomas, the Coach Carson podcast is one we would recommend. We've had Chad on the show before, and we really love his philosophy. It's not to get 10,000 units and become you know filthy rich on a ton of leverage. It is about slow, methodical, intelligent relationships estate investing. And we just agree with his philosophy so much and his approach and and the way he teaches people how to do it. So we definitely recommend checking that out. All right, Matt, that was the last question for this episode, but let's move back to the beer. Let's do that. That we have. This
1: one is called what? Terrace Bulba. I I guess that's how you pronounce it. (laughs) This is by a brewery in Brussels, Brasserie de la Seine. Uh, Yeah, this is an extra hoppy ale. What were your thoughts? Okay. Well, this is, first off, it's bringing me back to my time in Brussels,
0: which not my favorite city except for the fact that Cantillon is there and that's they got that going on one of my top five favorite places (laughs) in the world so uh as a city it's a decent city i think
1: uh, but that brewery in particular is amazing do you think that they'll let emily come back and spread your ashes there around (laughs) like the front door of of the brewery (laughs) it will add to the terroir of russell's i think so this one has like some Joel, like <laughs> right, some mineral. Oh yeah, that's that's Joel. That why, I do, taste. why do I feel so optimistic after <laughs> drinking it? Well, so this beer was,
0: I would say, dry and bitter. Oh my gosh, it, yeah. But definitely. I kind of, I kind of liked it, and it had kind of some of those, some of that Brussels kind of terroir going on. Those it's, those beers made in Brussels have a particular
1: element going on, and I don't, I, I don't know like, how to describe it even. Yeah, but. it's not like offensive bitter, but almost like a cal- uh, palate cleansing kind of bitterness yeah, going yeah. on. Yeah, like like you said, it's really dry. It was almost like a lemony freshness and kind of. Of wipes away any flavor of anything else you had today. I know you, you had a burger at lunch. I bet you can't even, you, you've probably got zero notes left of no. burger in your mouth
0: after this beer. All beer now. This one has yeah, dominated my palate for sure. But in a good way, and I'll always drink. If you hand me a beer from Belgium, I will drink it in a heartbeat because they, there are... They got
1: something special going a, on with their beers over there. A bunch there.
0: of brewing masters over there, for sure. Our favorite local brewery, the the head brewer, is from Belgium. like, mm-hmm. And he makes incredible beers, too. It's like there's something in the water there, <laughs> I
1: think, that just turns <laughs> out great beer. Quite literally, turns out great beer and great brewers. But I'm glad you and I got to both enjoy uh, Terras Bulba by Brasserie de la Seine. We'll make sure to include a picture of this label that I'm looking at, which is interesting, uh, up on the website at howtomoney.com. It's kind of, it's, it's actually kind of got that European cartoon sort of look to it. Oh, yeah. It's like straight out of Belgium. <laughs> straight out of Brussels for sure. But we'll make sure to include any links that we mentioned during this episode as well uh, up on the website at howtomoney.com. And if
0: you're wondering, oh, man, Matt and Joel are about to wrap this episode up, where can I get more Matt and Joel? Well, you can go to our website, like Matt said, or you can sign up for our How to Money newsletter, and you can find us in your inbox
1: every week, too. That's
0: at howtomoney.com. That's right newsletter.
1: Like I said, it's June 13th, which means that you could subscribe right now for a newsletter and receive tomorrow's newsletter within your inbox. And that'll hold you over until our Wednesday episode. Free of charge. Exceptionally charming. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's going to be it for this episode, Joel. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out.